Amen. Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. Now listen to the Word of God. For this reason, He, that is Jesus, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant or a testament is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, quote, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. In the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own, Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he, that is Jesus, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now verse 27 and 28. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Amen. One of the challenges that ministers have is that we learn with you as we study the book. I know you might think that the pastor knows everything that there is to know about a book before he preaches it, but that just isn't the case. Ministers, along with the congregation, do learn as we go through books of the Bible together. I think one of the things that I learned about the book of Hebrews, uh, since having begun the study of this uh, book, is how much it really reiterates many of the truths that have been stated. Now, sometimes 
reiteration or repetition is good. They have said, some, uh, that one of the arts of teaching, good teaching, is repetition, repetition, repetition. Because just because you said it didn't mean you got it. And so we have to, many times, reiterate the things that have been said. I think it's safe to say that the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is a good teacher. Because one of the things he does is he often reiterates the points that he has made subsequently in previous chapters. Now, I say all that because while that is a good thing, here's the challenge at the same time. The challenge for me and, is, and for us all is to not hear the same sermon week after week after week. That is, this is the same, same message, just a different way. So what I thought I'd do to bring maybe some uh, refreshment both to myself but also to you, because if it's interesting to me, generally it's going to be more interesting to you, is I want to focus today on a couple verses. I do want to go over, maybe at 40,000 feet, much of what the rest of chapter 9 is saying, but then I want to kind of bear down on the last two verses as our theme this morning. One of the things that we have been seeing in this chapter, but in the previous chapters, I think many of you could probably anticipate what I'm about to say, it is this, that there is a superiority to the new covenant than to the old. That if there is anything we have learned these past many months in the book of Hebrews is that what we have in Jesus Christ, boys and girls, is far, far better than what the children of Israel had in the old covenant. We are in a far better, far superior position in the Lord Jesus Christ than the children of Israel, even the most godly among the children of Israel in the Old Testament. You have, better, you have a better sacrifice in Jesus Christ. You have better blood sprinkled. You don't have the blood of goats and bulls and calves being sprinkled upon you as we read in this chapter and upon the book of the covenant. You have the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ covering your sins. Not just blood of animals typified pointing us to Christ, but the very blood of the Son of God has been shed for us. We are in a better position because we are seated with Christ. And Christ has gone into the Holy of Holies, not the typological Holy of Holies made by human hands in Jerusalem, but as the author tells us, the very Holy of Holies itself in the throne room of God. And so in every way, we are in a superior position. But what I want us to focus on this morning as we see that in the latter half of this chapter is I want to make special note in two points of the final two verses of this chapter. And namely, I want us to see that the author of Hebrews, in arguing for the superiority of the new covenant, reminds us of two things. Number one is that we all must come to our own death and number two, that Christ has come once and forever in his death. And that your death and the death of Jesus Christ are inexorably linked together when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a connection between your death and the death of Jesus, your mediator and your priest and your sacrifice. And I want us to think together 
on these two points. Number one, our death in verse 27. And number two, Christ's death in verse 28. Verse 27, our death, Christ's death in verse 28. And so if you have your Bible with you, let's look together, first of all, at verse 27. We read this, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Now notice that the author has been arguing that we are in a better place with Jesus Christ. We are in a better position, a position of maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Jesus is the testator. He is the one, if you will, who makes a will. Many of you have made your wills. And you go and you meet maybe with the attorney and you say, you know, I would like this and this and this and this done in my will. Uh, and maybe 10 years later, you look at the will and you say, you know, there's some realities have changed in my life. You know, some, maybe a new child was born in the family and something, and you realize we need to update this will. And so you go back and you, you update the will and you can do that uh, as often as you'd like. In fact, your lawyer would like it if you would update your will uh, often. Uh, but the, the will does not go into effect until what? Until we die. And in and, and this, uh, the author of Hebrews is saying that the Lord made a covenant with us, but that covenant has gone into effect by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has died, and the stipulations of that covenant are now uh, enforced here and are, are, are binding and are being carried out here. And he reminds us here, however, that uh, just as Jesus is not going to have to suffer uh, many times every year, one, you know, every year suffering again and again and again, he has suffered once and forever. And then he says in verse 27, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. And that is meaning, I think, both for Christ, but for us as well. This verse reminds us of something that your culture often doesn't want you to face or doesn't like to talk about, and that is that you and I have an appointment. You and I have an appointment that will be kept. You and I don't know when that appointment will be. You and I don't know the day. You and I don't know the date. You and I don't know the year. You and I don't know the condition in which that appointment will be fulfilled. Will it happen suddenly, unexpectedly? Will, it, will we see it coming? for weeks and months at a time. But the Bible tells us here that you and I have an appointment to die. Now, I know our culture seeks to persuade you and me that we shouldn't think about this and there's something wrong with you if you think about it. And I would suggest to you that it is not morbid and overly introspective for us to be realists about the human condition. What does the book of Ecclesiastes tell us? The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that life without God is what? Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. We are born but what? To die. We are as but grass that springs up quickly and then soon is gone. 
That's a truth that young people, I know it's hard sometimes for you to imagine. Uh, But take it from those of us who are older, that the decades don't really always seem like decades, do they? Uh, As a friend of my mother's used to say, we celebrate Christmas twice a year now. (laughs) The, the, The truth is that uh, we were born to die. In a hundred years, it is likely that none of us will exist in this world. This church will be gone. Maybe baby Josie, who was just born. It is theoretically possible that baby Josie is going to live to be a hundred years old. But most of us, the rest of us, we will be gone in 2124. It is appointed unto us as a church to die. Uh, Our death is certain. This is the lie that Satan tried to bring to our first parents. That in the day they ate of the fruit, you will not die. You surely will not die. He lied to them. Uh, He persuaded them that God was being hard. God would not do that. They would be wise. They would be as God. God's holding out on them. But God was not lying. Now, death now may not have come instantly, but the process of death came. Think about what a shock it must have been to go from a place of holiness and righteousness to seeing that first animal die. You and I probably are benumbed to the death of animals. You can't drive to church on a Sunday morning without seeing the latest roadkill on the road as we make our way here. But to think of the shock to the system when Adam and Eve saw the lamb that had to die. I I think it's a lamb. Uh, I think that that would make the most biblical sense. But they were clothed with animal skins. We don't know specifically, but a lamb, I think, pointing to Jesus Christ would make the most sense. And what a, a shock that must have been. Death has now become a reality. And what does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 8? Paul tells us now in Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation is groaning under this condition. The whole universe is longing for the day when the sons of glory will be revealed in Jesus Christ at his second coming. The whole creation wants out from under this tyranny. Jonathan Edwards said that The the animal kingdom views us as tyrants now. Um, George Whitfield, speaking in colonial America, says, why is it that the animals run away from you? It's because they know that that you have a quarrel with their master. The whole of this world has been brought into a sorrowful and vain condition because of sin. And the Bible says that the consequences of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. It's even stronger than just consequence. It's a, it is what is owed to us is death. Death is a reality. It is appointed for men to die. So what does that mean for us? It means you and I need to come to grips in an honest way with this truth. We are not going to live forever. I know there are billionaires out there right now 
who are trying to somehow live forever. There's actually a place I read about, I can't remember if it's in Arizona or New Mexico, I'm sure some of you know, where they now try to take the body immediately and freeze the body if you've got enough money, you know, that in, in the hope that science and technology will find a way to cure whatever it is that you died of and that you will be able to, you know, be uh, physiologically regenerated. And, and until that condition, you're, you pay all this money uh, to be essentially frozen. But that, that will not work. You're not going to be able to overturn God's order. Now, yes, great blessings have come to us uh, in the way of health and medicine so that I think we see in some small ways something of the fulfillment of what the prophet said, that he who dies at 100 will be considered as dying young. I think we are seeing. But when you compare it to um, eternity, um, our life is but a vapor. It is but a mist. God has seen to it that uh, even the uh, antediluvian people, meaning those who lived before the flood, died. Might have been hundreds of years in the case of Methuselah and others, but they did too eventually die. And since the flood, our lifespan has been shortened. And so that the Bible says that we have 70 years with extra strength, 80, uh, and that we are coming to the point where our soul and our body are going to divorce. Our soul and our body, which, you know, were never originally supposed to be cleaved, um, are, are going to be separated. This is why... You know, as great and as glorious as heaven will be when we die, and Paul does tell us that it is better to be with the Lord, um, that it is far better to be in the presence of the Lord. Yet even that is still an imperfect state because our body is in the cemetery. And it was not supposed to be that way, boys and girls. We were made body and spirit. God made us in our humanity, body and spirit. And it was not made to be cleaved like that. Sin brought this about. Death came as a consequence, as the wage of sin. And now we have to deal with this terrible reality. So one thing I want to say by application is, is this, is that recognize that we should count our days Teach us, says the psalmist, to number our days that we would, would present to you a heart of wisdom. When you live with the reality that you are going to die, it probably will help you to live more profitably in the days that you live. That is, if you will think of the end, of the telos, to use the Greek, of where we are going, you will get greater value out of the days that God does give you. When you learn to die daily uh, because you are thinking about the end in which one day you will die, Christ says you will actually live. Uh, that he who loses his life is actually the one who finds it. And he who tries to keep his life will be the one in the end who loses it. And so we are met with this a wondrous paradox that the Lord introduces us to. So I would say by application here, it is not morbid to think about 
our death. But as we think about our death, we need to think about that our death uh, in the light of who we are in Christ. Because we do have the promise of the Lord that even when we die, yet we shall live. The, The work of Jesus Christ applies even to our death. Now, if you are not in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you don't have this promise. The Bible says that if you are without the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you are in a bad condition. You are in a dangerous condition. And this is not Boyd Miller trying to you know, whip up some puritanical scaremongering here. But to tell the sober plain truth that at death there is a judgment. Look at our text again. Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. There is judgment coming after death. Before death there is opportunity to receive grace and forgiveness There's opportunity to be made right with God, not by trying to do more right things, not by trying to put on more piety, but by going outside of yourself and outside of your works to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, the Bible teaches that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him should not, what? Perish. What does it mean to perish? It means to die and then suffer the judgment. But if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not die and perish. You will not die and suffer the judgment, but rather you will die physically, but yet you will live. If you are without Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it clear that nothing awaits you but the certainty of judgment. That after you die, there will not be opportunity for you to repent. There will not be opportunity for you to turn and to believe. When the day of judgment comes, there will be this divide. Jesus says it will be good fish and bad fish. It will be sheep, it will be goats, it will be those on his right and those on his left. And he will welcome those on his right into eternal life. And those on his left, however, he will say to them, I never knew you. And the angels of the Lord will take them away to a place of judgment, of justice. There will be no crossing the aisle in that day. The rich man who died without any regard for Lazarus, who lay at his gate, died and went to hell. While he was still living, there was time for him to believe the gospel and to love his neighbor as himself and to help Lazarus. But after death of Lazarus and after the death of the rich man, Lazarus could not go to the rich man. The rich man could not go to Lazarus. There was this gulf, inseparable gulf between the two, and one could not go and relieve the misery of the other and the one could not leave his misery and go into glory. Once that has been established, it is forever. It is eternal. The Bible teaches that the judgment of Christ is like 
those who are waiting for the bridegroom. You know, I saw this um, just this past couple of weeks. We had the Reformation Singles Conference. And I said to some of my friends, I said, it's like a living parable. We've been giving them months to sign up. We've been sending out announcements. We had commercials. We had a guy who makes commercials professionally in Tennessee make us a commercial. We posted it all throughout social media. We told them, you need to sign up. You need to sign up. We even said, hey, we're getting close to where we're going to close the door and you won't be able to get in. And you know what happened? We closed the door. Our webmaster, John Way, former member here, programmed in the program, it is going to close at 5 p.m. on this day. The door will shut and you will not be able to log in and register. But pastor, I can't log in. I'm getting these text messages. And you wanted to say, oh, foolish virgin. I'm sorry, I do not know you. And it was just like in John Bunyan's account of Pilgrim's Progress. I saw people at the conference who, in the words of Bunyan, leapt over the wall. (laughs) Their name was not on my list. And I wanted to almost go up to them and say, Sir, you do not have a wedding garment on. Get out of here. And it is fun to make light of that. But we are dealing, Jesus said, with also serious things too, aren't we? Um, this, this is a reality. The door is going to shut. Uh, and, and there will be, Jesus tells us, there will be those who were foolish. They were off getting oil. They didn't make good use of their Sabbaths. They left their Bible on the shelf or on the back seat of the car or wherever they've left it, and they left it closed for years, months. They didn't attend the prayer meetings. They didn't attend the means of grace. They didn't apply themselves to the things that they heard. They didn't profit from what was heard. They grew up in the church, but they didn't make good use of what they had heard. Their whole youth And so from age 4 to 18, they they sat under the means of grace. They heard the the pleading of the Spirit through the Scriptures saying, Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, Oh, I'll wait. I'll wait. It's like the invitations that went out to the wedding feast and one guy says, man, I just got married. I need to go home and see my wife. Another guy says, oh, I just bought some land. I need to go check it out. Another guy says, oh, I just got a couple of oxen. I need to yoke them and and use them. Many are called, but few are chosen. What I'm saying here is don't lose sight of the reality. Death is coming. And today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Proverbs 27.1 is one of my favorite proverbs. No man knows what a day may bring. All is going well and suddenly it changes just like that. You think you're fine, you think you're healthy, and then you feel a lump. 
You think you're fine, you are fine, you are healthy, and you fall off the ladder. And then it quickly goes downhill from there. In three months, you're gone. You're fine, you're young, you're healthy. You're enjoying life, as Ecclesiastes says you should do. And then a drunk driver crosses the double yellow line and hits you head on, and you're gone. And what will you do if you're without Jesus Christ? God is telling you and has told you, it is appointed unto men to die, and then comes the judgment. Don't be found standing outside the door knocking. It's too late at that point. When your soul and body have been separated, and you find yourself in this place of darkness, and you're wondering, where am I, and what has become of me, Five minutes ago, I was driving down Franklin Road, and now I'm, I'm gone. And you'll say, Lord, Lord, open up to me. No answer. You know, some have experienced that even while they were still living. You think of Saul. And Saul sought the Lord through a, a medium. The Lord wasn't answering him, and he used a spiritist. He used a medium to raise up Samuel. And Samuel said, I'm sorry. It's too late for you. And he's still living. Some do sin the sin unto death while still living. We need to realize that the door of opportunity, the door to come to Jesus Christ is not always going to be available to you. Don't be foolish. Don't put it off. Don't, don't think, oh, there's Pastor Boyd again trying to scare me into heaven. Listen, I'm not trying to emotionally manipulate you. I'm trying to plainly tell you what the Bible is saying. I'm trying to communicate clearly what's at stake here. I'm trying to, trying to do this, you know, as a dying man to dying people. I am dying, but so are you. You need to have dealings, some of you need to have dealings with Christ. And today is the perfect day to change your life. That's point number one. Point number two. Verse 28, point number two. So Christ, also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. There is good news here. There is great news here. And that is that just as our death is a certainty, should the Lord tarry. I, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but what about the second coming? I know. But, but ordinarily, death is coming. The good news is this, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, has already died. He has already undergone everything that you will, and far, far more that you'll never have to undergo. That is, because... When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, though you still must suffer the consequence of sin in a physical death, 
because Jesus underwent not only a physical death, but a, a death of judgment that is equivalent to eternal punishment in hell. Therefore, your death in Jesus Christ is not the same as a death of a, a non-believer. That even in death, you can say with the Apostle Paul in Jesus Christ, O oh, death, where is your sting? The non-believer cannot say that. But a believer, you see, Jesus Christ has graciously blunted even our chief enemy. He has taken from us the worst about that death that is coming for us. So that even our death is but a promotion. We are but a step closer to glory and glorification. We are, we are still, yes, separated from the body. And we do with the martyrs who are under the altar cry out in heaven, How long, O oh Lord, how long? When are you going to do it? When are you coming? When are you going to give Jesus the order to leave the throne and restore all things? And the answer is when the last enemy has been made a footstool under Jesus' feet. That's what the Bible teaches. Then the father will say to the son, Son, it's time. Go. And bring about the consummation, the glorification of the universe. Bring about, show the world, show the universe, show the animal creation that your suffering, your sacrifice, your death, your dying, your drinking of hell on that cross as I poured out my wrath for sins upon your head, show now the glory that is coming about that is truly yours to the world. You know, you and I have already begun to enter into that process. Do you know that? When you were regenerated, when you were born again, that process of future glory, that, that is what? That is what the future eschatological age that broke into your life at that moment. You know, that's why sanctification is of such great importance is because when you pursue sanctification, what you are doing is you are pursuing the reality of that future eschatological glory in your life. When you're putting sin to death in very practical ways, when you're learning to be patient with your children, when you are learning to deny yourself for the sake of others, when you are loving others, when you're loving your enemies and praying for them who abuse you and, and say all mean things about you, you are, what you're doing is you are showing forth more of the future glory, that eschatological glory that has already begun in your life. That's why sanctification is so important. That's why Romans 6 is Romans 6. That's why Paul says, shall we continue in sin because grace will abound? No! Are you kidding me? <laughs> that, that's Boyd's translation. <laughs> no! Don't you realize the, the future consummated glory has begun in your life. And, and, it, and Paul says, it's, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That's why I run the race with endurance. That's why I pursue these things. That's why I, I do my darndest to use the means of grace to, to, to mitigate the, the remnants of sin in my life because I'm living out of this new reality. I'm living out, trying to consistently live out the reality that's begun in me and will come to fruition when Jesus comes off the throne. 
when it will come and be realized in, in, in the universe here. It is appointed unto men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. But notice here, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation. That does not mean that Jesus didn't accomplish salvation in his first death. What this means here is that which he accomplished will be fully realized or fully applied in his second coming. We live in the now and not yet. We live with this tension of, that a new eschatological age has broken into our lives. It's broken into this world, but it is not yet fully here. It will come because of Christ. But notice here, and I close with this, we got to go to the come to the table. It is for those who eagerly await him. This is for those who know him, know his voice. Follow him, love him, serve him, albeit imperfectly, albeit inconsistently, albeit sometimes with fits and starts. But you love Jesus Christ. You want Jesus Christ. You want to see him. You want to know him. And you want to be known by him. You who are eagerly awaiting this expectation of future glory, you will have it. You will be found to be the wise virgins who had oil in their lamps. And when the bridegroom comes, you will go in with him. Amen.